Welcome back, folks. Welcome, Fear we Mile Nation. Luckily, we don't have to apologize this episode for April Fools. So no. we're, we're past that, right? No apologies. I think everyone forgave us. Thank you. Thank you for forgiving us. Uh, nothing to apologize for this time. We're just living our best life over here. On the show today, we have Jesse Williams of Sound Running. You might recognize uh, the brand from some of the great meets that they've put on over the past, oh, I don't know, like year or so. Yeah. Sound Running has been around since officially formed in 2018. But during these crazy COVID times, Sound Running stepped up to the plate, organized some meets, got some fast runners to, to come in, crush some fast times. So that was all, you know, in big part by Jesse Williams putting those events on, taking on that risk and uh, bringing the people what they want, the sport of track and field. Yeah. So we chat with Jesse today about quite a few things. We go into a little bit behind the scenes of what it logistically financially takes to put on some of these events as well as diving into how we can make the sport better yeah this is a little bit different than some of our past interviews we've done you know typically we have athletes on talking about their running and what they like to do outside of running as well this is part of a kind of a two-part series really this week this episode we have sound running on Next episode, we're going to have the Trials of Miles uh, guys and Chris Chavez of Sidious Mag. And so we're we're giving you the behind the scenes of the, the sport of track and field, the business of track and field, everything that goes into events, go, ways. How, how everyone figured out how to run COVID meets. Exactly. How to grow the sport, ideas for making it better, for getting more money into athletes' hands. And so we're doing something a little different these two episodes. We thought it might be fun to show you guys uh, and also for us to learn. Selfishly, yeah. we wanted to learn this, what what it takes from a business standpoint to put something like this together. I mean, yeah, spoiler alert. Well, it's not really a spoiler, but uh, I guess, you know, I, I changed my mind in today's podcast. So stay, stay tuned for that. Adam got convinced, uh, I don't know, midway through or maybe three quarters of the way through. He got, he got convinced of one of his... Uh, so essentially the way that this start this interview started was uh, Jesse and I had some we exchanged some tweets on on yield Twitter just around uh, the concept of quote unquote swish swish air quotes for the audio only listeners but the concept of free meets and you know like the economics behind that as well as like kind of debating how to grow the sport while also remaining um, you know self sufficient or, or self sustaining. Yeah. So Jesse had some great points here and Adam, an open-minded guy, you know, he's open to debate and to counter arguments yeah. and criticism I mean, the, and he's the, willing to adapt. The, uh, the big, the big point is that we all want the same thing. We all want the sport to grow both in terms of viewership as well as, you know, quality of the meets that are getting put on. We want more meets, uh, stateside as opposed to like everyone going over to Europe for the entire summer and, and us like missing out on, on yeah. local meets. So yeah. I, everyone, everyone kind of wants the same thing. And I think Jesse had a lot of good points, uh, contrary to what I initially thought and I, I think you'll find this chat interesting yeah so part one of our two-part series going behind the scenes of some of these some of these meets and the companies that run them so we're gonna get to jesse in just a second here right before we do we got some swag uh winners and we got to give some shout outs to those who gave us five-star reviews on apple Podcasts and sent them our way on instagram so thanks so much for doing that again if you want to enter the giveaway 
just go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star review, um, you know, leave an actual review and it can be anything. I don't know. Maybe what should, what should it be for this episode? What should Ooh, people for this say? Episode, oh, In the man. past, we've done saying that you love your mom. We've done talking about Blue Moon. We've said to give us a stock uh, stock pick. Those what were else? some good ones. I yeah. I, what what else do we have for people to leave in the reviews that are some nice little inside jokes? Hmm. I would say for this one, you should do beer mile pay per view. Just just say that we should have beer mile pay per view. Yeah. Okay. And you'll and you'll get that reference when we start talking to Jesse as well. He'll 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 touch on that piece of it. So beer mile pay per view. Leave us that review and. You can DM us on Instagram a screenshot of that review to be entered in the giveaway. Also, actually, I kind of thought of this. I don't know why we didn't do this before, but you know, maybe you can be double entered into the giveaway if you also just share that screenshot on your story on Instagram and tag oh, us. Sure. And then, yeah. you know, more people will actually hear about the show that way and hopefully it'll kind of grow organically as well. And so that's a, that's a good you're, idea. You're double entered if you also share on your story. So the shout outs for this week, we've got uh, Joey Shandall, Shandall, Shandall. I don't know. You're the official name pronouncer here. So I think that's, that's what we're sticking Joey with. Joey Shandall, Landon Delosier. De- oh, gosh, man. Delosier. Okay. Delosier. Delosier. Sorry, I stole your job. Continue. Landon Delosier. Ava Christine. We got Andrew. He doesn't have a last name on Insta. He's OC underscore O underscore. Yes. Jack Underwood and Michael Finley. So, Thank you to the six of you, and we'll do. Let's do two swag winners because we're, we're feeling we're more, generous. We're more all generous right, than right. one. I mean, we never just do one, especially when you have this quantity. So true. For sure, I love the message that you sent us, Ava. You're definitely uh, getting a swag yeah, of your choice. So good call. Hit us up, and you. I'll let you take the other one. Who Who would you like to pick of these other folks? And, and Adam mm. did not. Re- I actually responded to these DMs and saw them. So Adam has no bias here. He's strictly looking at names. Oh, really? So the one message I remember seeing before it might have been after you responded, but I saw Jack Underwood's message and I was like, oh, it's a it's a good one. OK, very genuine message. Jack Underwood, you're getting some swag. Perfect. Ava and Jack hit us up. And for the other guys uh, that that submitted reviews our way, thanks so much. And you can enter the giveaway again. Just, you know, share uh, share the beer mile on your story. Yeah. The beer mile podcast. Just. It's pretty easy. Just interact with us in some way. Leave a comment on YouTube. We'll throw your name in the spreadsheet. We'll we'll throw your name back in the drawing again in a future week. So not all is lost uh, if you don't get picked the first time around. So really appreciate that. Again, there's always a video version of this podcast on YouTube on Beer Mile Media. That's our YouTube channel. So we'd appreciate you subscribing there. And also, we do have the ability to leave us a voice message. So if you want to for sure get front and center on the show, ask a question, say something offensive, just leave us a voice message on Anchor. Ooh, ooh, I have a, I have a request. Yeah. Um, if if you send an audio message roasting me, yes. it doesn't doesn't matter what it's about. Just roast me, and I will. I'll for the first five people that send an audio message roasting me, I'll send you swag personally. Okay, perfect. So anchor.fm slash beer dash mile dash media. That link is also in the description. Give Adam a roast via voice message. I don't think you can hurt my feelings, but I really want you to prove me wrong. God, that's, this is going to be so funny. I'm excited for this. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be Roast fun. Adam this episode, and maybe next episode it, we can say to roast me. Um, I like but that. Let's, let's start yeah, with yeah. roasting Adam this time around. So give him your best roast, everybody. 
Uh, and last piece that I'll plug here, we got a Strava group. It's been growing. Dude, it's, I, it's fun I to checked see. it today. I was really, it's like almost at 250, I think. It's a blast to see what everyone's doing for training. You know, get to, we, we see all of your names and, you know, for those that DM us and comment on our stuff. Um, and so it's awesome to see your training as well because yeah. that's a that's an even added all, like, touch of. All, all of today, I was just like swiping through people that I can like recognize from Instagram or, or whatever other social media platform that they've interacted with us. I'm like, oh, they're on Strava. They're running this many miles a week. I've like commented on a few people's uh, workouts. It's, I don't know, it's good fun. Yeah, definitely. So hit us up in the Strava group, just beer mile. You know, you'll see our little orange mascot running beer can guy on there. It's pretty, our it's mans. pretty hard to, hard to miss. So let's get into it with Jesse. Right after we interview Jesse, we'll do the beer of the week. We got another one from Ryan uh, from Wisconsin. Shout out. He, this is one of the three that he sent us from Fifth Ward Brewing. Um, so high that, standards that we reviewed the first one uh, go back to the last episode uh, with Ari Clow if you want to see us review the first one from Fifth Ward the APA now we're on to the Honey Saffron Wheat Ale so that's coming in the outro after we interview Jesse but let's get into it Welcome, Jesse, to the Beer Mile Podcast. Jesse was formerly the head of sports marketing at Brooks, and in commemoration of that, I got a, a Brooks oh. koozie here on my <laughs> on my beer. Uh, and now he is the, I guess, owner. I don't know what you give yourself as a title at Sound Running. Uh, co-founder, yeah. owner, CEO, uh, doing big things at Sound Running. So welcome to the show, Jesse. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, to kick things off, I think especially in the last year or so with some of the track meets you've put on, I think a number of people out there have heard of sound running and the sound running track meets. Could you just give us a taste of what sound running is and what all you guys are doing? Yeah. Um, we started about two years ago and we we're really originally a training platform. We were trying to build custom training plans for events and, um, it kind of started from there. And then I don't know if you guys remember, but in 2019, there was like world was like a month late. And so USA's was like a month late. And so there were no meets for like five weeks leading into USA's and all these coaches were like, oh, I wish there was something. And, um, I think Danny Mackey, the coach of the beast was actually visiting at the time. And he was like, just perfect here. We should just have a meet here. And I was like, man, I'll put one on. It'd be fun. I was like, it's not really what I do, but it was like, it'd be fun to do. And we put it on and it went really well. And then started looking at it. I was like, you know, I always complained about our athletes going to Europe over the summer because we spent so much money and then they would just go race each other or other Americans. Right. Okay. I was like, what are we doing? Yeah. You know? And, and I was like, and also from a marketing point of view, we're like, it felt like we weren't getting the value that we would get if they were right here, or at least it was out of sight, out of mind. So I kind of, as soon as we did that meet, like the next day I was like, okay, we're doing this. This is what we're doing, you know? And so that kind of started it. And then we had these grand plans for 2020 yeah. and then everything happened. Um, so we were, that's kind of where it started and how we got into events. And then, um, you know, COVID gave us uh, some serious hurdles. And I think we were able to pull off our, our kind of, instead of these huge, awesome events that we had plans for, it just became 
pull off an event, have an event. And yes. so that became the new kind of benchmark was, can we even have one? And yeah, it was, it was, uh, I would say a very stressful process. Um, you know, it looks like maybe cleanish on the other side, you get to watch it online and it, people run fast, but there were times where like three days before the meet, we thought we were going to cancel. And even like when people were sitting in hotels, like already in town. <laughs> so there's been some moments where I was like, we're not doing this anymore, you know, whatever. But, uh, I think we're on the other side of that. Hopefully, you know, we'll see. Yeah. So I guess for the 2021 events, at least the ones upcoming. So it's probably this, this winter and then this spring, a lot of the events are still kind of that last minute, like throwing things together and not knowing if it's going to happen or not. You have the sunset tour planned for this summer. Uh, are you able to kind of get back in that cycle where you're able to plan this more grand event and kind of have it that way? Or are there still, are you still taking into account en enough of the, limitations and potential risks that it's, it's not still, it's not quite to the level of an event that you would be looking to, yeah. to come on as part of sound running. Yeah. It's kind of ever changing. Like you said, so, um, we have an event, uh, in about five weeks, um, our may track meet, which is when that, that event was always supposed to be a may kind of qualifier event. Um, last year we moved it to December cause that fit better for everybody's schedule. So now it's back in may, I think that event will be a hybrid um, as far as having like full fields and kind of a really big opportunity for athletes. I think we're going to be able to do that part um, as far as having like stands being full and, you know, like all the bells and whistles of like, you know, entertainment, whatever, um, you know, that's still up in the air. I think we might be able to allow a very little amount of fans in, and kind of require vaccination or something to that level. Cause we're going to be right at that like turning point, I think when things like change. And I also, I've heard things of like, everybody's going to get this vaccination card that has a QR code on it and you're going to be able to scan it and all this. And if that happens, um, maybe we can host even more people and maybe if the CDC says like good to go, you know, um, as far as like, people with the vaccine can't pass it along and all that stuff. It's weird. Uh, during this whole process, we went from like, testing people ourselves last July and like going through this contact tracing gigantic spreadsheet and feel like basically we're, you know, the medical professionals all the way to like, now I feel like I'm so in tune with what's going on with the CDC and everything. It feels kind of weird. Cause I never pay attention to that. Find your rhythm with the <laughs> CDC. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but July is looking a lot better. I think, we've talked to some of the facilities and instead of facilities being like, dude, we're not even at work mm -hmm. and we, or, or we've been furloughed or um, school's not even happening till 2022, like whatever. I think um, facilities are starting to go, Oh yeah, actually um, we should talk. I'm meeting with my advisor tomorrow. We're talking about how we're going to roll out for the summer. And so you're like, okay, that's the first time that's happened in a while, you know, we might be able to actually put where the race is going to be on the website. Um, you know, it's been a weird thing uh, to be like, Oh, it's secret. Yeah. Yeah. Like, especially track. 
Yeah, it's like my favorite thing to see is all the athletes posting on Instagram, like someplace in blank. Yeah. Someplace in Texas. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. In hindsight for, I know you mentioned 2020, like you had these huge plans to throw um, these really grand events, but what, what are your thoughts? Um, I guess from my perspective, for me, sound running personally, like came onto the map because like the governing bodies that be weren't putting on meets essentially for like really the past six months to a year. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you kind of evaluate the potential success of 2020 against like what actually happened and, and maybe that being a different type of success, I guess. Yeah. I mean, success in 2020 became actually giving athletes opportunities. Doesn't matter like how big the meet was or, whatever, you know, um, it just became, can you pull off a safe event? And our December event, I was so going back and forth every day on, should we do this? Should we not do this? Mm-hmm. I had a big uh, zoom call with probably like 30 agents and coaches who all had basically people running about two weeks out. I said, we lost our venue. Do you guys still want me to keep going forward? And they're like, dude, this is the only thing on the schedule. Please do. And I was like, okay, because you guys see the cases rising and we're going to require two tests. We're going to require everybody that walks in that stadium to have two tests, even like coaches and agents and whatever. And as far as I know, we were the only meet that had gone that strict. And, um, and I still was like, I don't know if we should do this. And every single one of those coaches and agents basically said, please do, please keep. So we found another facility last second. The athletes never really knew that that was happening behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Only the coaches and agents did. Uh, so we switched facilities within the last 10 days. And because we had never given out where it was, really nobody knew that we switched facilities. <laughs> um, so that became, I, I promise you, that was December 4th and 5th. On like December 6th, I was like, I remember I went for a run with my buddy and I was like, let, we have to do the slowest, easiest run in history right now. I was like, I'm done because it was really, it's, I don't care about the stress of organizing an event, the stress of not being able to control the fact that like LA County or Orange County or somebody could come in and just be like, Oh, we heard about this meet. You're not having it. Mm-hmm. And like, I was just waiting at any point in time for somebody to say that. Yeah. Um, but we were really lucky. The school we worked with, they, um, they've just been really dialed and they've had their own COVID protocols for their school that have worked really well. And so I, I would say um, that was success this year. Uh, but uh, I think there's so much room to take what we've done and, and take it up 10 notches, but keep the same spirit, which is athlete first fan first, you know, like if we're, if we're, always looking through the eyes of those two groups. I mean, we not always get it right, but if we're trying, you know, like trial and error, you know, whatever it is, um, I think we'll be doing the right thing. You know, I'm fine messing up here and there (laughs) as long as we're like trying to do it for the right reason. And so that's what 2021 is going to be is hopefully us taking those next steps. Um, There's some pretty exciting things coming. So we'll, you know, We'll see. Yeah. And as, as difficult as it was to put on those meets, I mean, do you think that the, that the COVID in a way 
maybe helped the sound running brand. I'm just thinking in terms of this year, we kind of saw like a lot of the big meets that would normally happen and say like USATF sponsored meets, they didn't happen. And so like people like you sound running had to step up, uh, like the American track league came about, you have the trials of miles. And so like sound running, I personally hadn't heard of until the track meet in December. That was the first time I'd heard of it. And I, I, and then we were a part of the meet, uh, in Texas, the Texas qualifier with trials of miles Mm -hmm. and similarly there, like I'd heard of their name, but they became very like you and them became very prominent because you had high, the, the top caliber athletes in the U S running fast times, competing at your meets. I don't know. What, do you think that that would have happened anyway? If, if the, you know, the bigger meets were still going on, or do you think that that actually allowed you to kind of get talent you would have maybe not had uh, with those other meets? So I think, I think um, the one thing it changed was we were the only game in town. I, I truthfully think we would have had the same athletes because the one thing that we have, I'm very lucky is my former job. I knew all the agents and coaches. And so when we did our first meet in 2019, I was like, well, I don't know if I really want to do this. Let me see what is. And I legit just sent a couple texts and everybody was like, yeah, we're in. And I was like, okay. And sometimes I take that for granted that like getting people to show up, they, because they knew me from Brooks, I think they trusted me. Um, and so like a good example is in this May, this May letter me, um, there are a bunch of events on the calendar now and our fields are insane. I can't like, I, I can't think of people that aren't coming, you know, like it's, it's going to be insane. And so, uh, I do think we would get the same people, but the thing that we, all of us benefited from was it was just us. Like it wasn't like there were three other meets and then our army happened. It was like, we were the, like we were the only meet in December and we were the only thing for months. And then trials and miles was like the only thing in February, you know what I mean? Like, so the only difference I think is there would have been other like stuff, you know, out there kind of taking it attention. Instead, the fans were just like, we got this one thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do say like, back to your point, we did benefit from that. But, um, and I, I would say that we were willing to take the risk. Maybe we're hard headed or maybe like mm-hmm. for me, I was like, well, what else am I going to do if we're not going to put these meats on? Like, right. We're going to figure this out. And once we kind of figured it out in August with our smaller sunset tour meets where we only had like five people in this race and 10 people in this race, whatever, we started looking at December and we're like, Oh, we can go bigger. We can do this right. Now that we have this system, we didn't know cases were going to go insane and that we were going to be up against that. But, you know, nobody knew any of that stuff. Right. What do, you, do you think that like that was kind of your competitive advantage, like during, well, I guess, COVID still kind of going on. But do you think that was your competitive advantage where like you were willing to take the hit on throwing this huge event and probably probably like having less of a profit? I mean, not even probably like, yeah, but, like. Do you think that that's why USATF and other of the, the you know, the other three um, or two big bodies, like, do you think that's why they didn't throw events was because it was not profitable as, as from the investment side? Cause I think. Um, well, so USATF has their investments kind of no matter what, 
Mm -hmm. They have their TV deal and they have their sponsors. And if anything, putting on events keeps all of those people happy. Um, So that's why I was surprised it never happened. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, USATF is this giant organization that has a lot of eyeballs on it. And they, they have to mitigate their risk at a much different level than I do. Like mm-hmm. sound running for all intents and purposes is like me. So yeah. like I can take a hit if somebody doesn't like what we do or whatever. And, and I personally felt what we were doing was, was safe and to, I mean, I, the way I kind of looked at it in December was when we talked for a split second about not doing the meet, all of the other, all these other people were like, well, maybe we'll do this here. Maybe we'll do this. And, and I just thought, you know what, if we do it, I know we'll be safe. Mm-hmm. If I let all these other people go and do their own thing, like, I don't know. And so I actually felt like putting it on was the safer option than like letting all these other people go do their thing. And so, and we did, we were like crazy. I and mean, we got to the point where we, we had athletes so scared that they would get to the starting line with their mask on and they thought they had to race with their mask on. And I was like, no, 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 you guys can take those off for the race. But I was like, that's good. We did our job. We had them like dialed and people didn't try to sneak in. We didn't have like, you know, any of that stuff. Um, I think USCTF doesn't have the ability to be that nimble. They're too big. Um, And I don't know. I, I go back and forth. Part of me says like, Oh, where were they during this year? And then part of me is like, I think that they were kind of looking at this as like all of our money comes from the Olympics and the Olympic trials and our focus is making sure we do that. Um, but you know, we would have loved a little bit of help, you know, yeah. that'd have been nice. Um, but they also like, they lost a lot of their, um, a lot of their revenue also comes from the ton of events that they put on. There's registration costs. Mm-hmm. There's a ton of registration revenue they lost this year um, by not having events and participation is actually a really good thing for them and not to not have it. So I'm sure I don't know the full story of why they didn't, but um, I know because we were smaller, we can smaller and maybe hard headed and maybe just like risk, maybe not risk adverse enough is why we pulled it off. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's good to hear that it like a USATF announced that they're going to have, you know, the series of meets this, this spring slash mm-hmm. leading into the Olympic trials. And it's good to hear that you still are confident that you're going to have, the one of the best if not the best fields you know across the events at, at your meets in may so that's exciting stuff i guess any any teasers on who who's running what some you know if there's some big marks in certain events that people are are going for records anything like that yeah i would say um i was looking at it today and the fields and like some of the events are so deep that i'm like i don't know how to make an a heat and a b heat <laughs> without making people really upset and yeah. that's it's inevitable anyway it's going to happen but um people are always going to be like well i should be in this heat and so um i would say in the 5k and 10k like name someone who doesn't have the standard and they're at, at the meet aiming for the standard okay so like there's some really really good people coming that are still trying to hit that 10k standard um I know like a good example is like Joe Klecker still hasn't hit, didn't hit the 10 K standard. He's run 27, 35. He can obviously get it, but he needs, you know, the right day. Same with like Hassan Mead and folks like, this. so we're going to see some really good. You would think everybody has a standard at this point with all the, you know, but um, 
there are, I would say anybody that doesn't have the standard is coming to get it. And then the 800, 1500 fields are really good. And then what's different with this meet is we do have um, field events and sprints and which is new for us. Um, but I think those fields are going to be really good as well. Um, so it'll be, uh, yeah, I'm pretty excited to see that. Cause you know, you never know. I mean, people instantly take their eye off the ball and then like, you know, so I was happy to think that what we did at COVID maybe that gained everybody's trust and they're like, okay, well, we're behind this. We're supporting these guys, you know, cause they made it, you know, our season possible last year. Mm-hmm. Definitely. You mentioned uh, about a lot of the money or, or revenue coming through, like because of the Olympics, do you think that that is good for the growth of the sport or would you rather have the money come from meets spread across uh, the, the regular season outside of the Olympics? Um, this is when I would say like, maybe this is controversial, but, and I used to say this when I was at Brooks, um, Olympics is horrible for our sport. Um, they're horrible because not that they're not great, but look at any other sport and the Olympics are not the pinnacle. Maybe swimming is not a, you know, but like baseball, football, or football doesn't, baseball, basketball, like all these big revenue sports. Olympics are important. They're very important, but NBA championships are still more important. Mm-hmm. You know? And, uh, you know, the World Series is still more important. It's still, you know, a bigger money deal for those athletes as well. And so the problem with the Olympics for our sport is because contracts are built around the Olympics, athletes think it's the only thing that matter. And I remember a good example is one of our athletes when I was at Brooks, she didn't make the Olympic team. And then she immediately went to Europe and she just won. She won a diamond league. She won a couple smaller meets and she just acted like she had the worst season ever and that her season was worthless. And she had won a bunch of meets leading into the trials I was like, think about if you're a professional and you're lucky and you race 10 years and let's say you race 10 times a year, you race a hundred times as a professional, you might get three Olympic trial, two to three Olympic trials out of there, depending on when you're going to define your career of a hundred races on three races. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. And I said to her, I was like, you won this meet, you won this meet, you won this meet. And I was like, and unfortunately for us at Brooks, if you did make the Olympic team, you're going to run in a Nike USA singlet. It's kind of worthless for us. And at the time, rule 40 was really, really strict, which means we couldn't have talked about her. We couldn't have used her in an advertisement. Um, She couldn't have thanked us in social media. Like to me, it was like, uh, I mean, I love for you to make the Olympics, but what you did that summer actually ended up being golden for us. And yeah. so that's the problem is all the contracts are built around that. And so one of the things we, we'd like to do with this pro track series we've started is we'd like to, what if contracts were built around the pro track series? I was just, and that was what, my you know, so like <laughs> If all the bonuses were like, Hey, if you win, if you're one of the top people at these meets or if your overall prize, you know, your overall ranking at the meets was this, well, then not only will everybody show up every single year for all the meets, 
and it's something fans can count on. But now the athlete's livelihood has a yearly metric. It's not every four years, my livelihood is like on the line. I mean, look at how marathoners are like Ryan Hall to run a marathon at the Olympics takes a huge pay cut. Yeah. Yep. He makes way more in prize money. The only way he nets out is if he wins a medal. If he wins a medal, then all his prize money goes up and his appearance money goes up. But unless he wins a medal, he took probably like for him, probably took like a half a million dollar pay cut. Exactly. To run the Olympic marathon. Yep. But he did it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's like everything about it is kind of incentivizing the wrong thing. Like for the athlete, it's even not, so not only looking at like the money piece of it, where it's like the difference. So like, if you look at, I don't know, a mile race or a 5k race, like a second difference in your time at that one race is like a, you know, a million dollar difference over a career or whatever it is. So it's like for the athlete, it's super, super stressful as well. It's just like the mental aspect of it is it's not good for the athlete at all and also monetarily. Um, so that piece of it's like horrible. And then it's also just from the fans perspective, it's not, you don't, you know, you don't get excitement throughout the year. Cause then you do have cases where like Bowerman track club, for example, they're just known for not racing super often because they are so good at peaking for the right races, which in this case, the right race is the Olympics, which they do super well at doing that. And, you know, they're maximizing their potential at the world championships and Olympics, but then just from a fan's perspective, you don't get to see them races often. So then it's not, you don't get that storyline to build over time and it's not as exciting um, because basically every race that happens, if it's not the Olympics, you're like, well, if they do bad, it doesn't matter because the Olympics is all that matters. And if they do well, it's like, well, yeah, but if they don't make the Olympic team, it doesn't matter. So it's just just such a weird dynamic that uh, that's put in place by not have, by having the contracts be all based like from the shoe companies and being based on Olympics and world medals versus any sort of incentive in like a league or a team atmosphere that would make things just more, more entertaining all around and probably more fun for the athletes too. I would, I would, I would wager every, so if, if you're a fan, how, how do you know what to pay attention to the Olympics? They tell you, and granted the Olympics are still only for like the smallest percentage of our sport. Like, Think about how many good people don't Daniel Komen didn't go to the Olympics. You know what I mean? So, and that summary went and set like two or three world records. So it's a weird thing to put all the value into that. But if, if we have a formal track season where people know to tune in, Oh, May through August is kind of the track season. And there's basically one to two big meets a month. And it's, that's, we can follow that. And we see the same people racing and everybody know year in, year out, they can follow that. Right now, you have to be so in the know to follow the sport because you have to be like, well, there's this meet in Palo Alto where it's a college meet, but pros run there. And then there's a meet in Eugene, and that's kind of the big pro meet, but only a couple pros get to run from the U.S. (laughs) And um, then there is U.S. championships, and everybody runs that. And then, by the way, everybody goes to Europe. And then did you know that there's worlds in between the Olympic years and worlds is the same as the Olympics? Nobody knows that. Like people that pay fairly, fairly close attention to the sport don't know that. And we need to build something that's easy. I always joke. I use my mom as an example. It's like my mom can't follow it. You know, she doesn't know, well, I don't get this. Same with like Olympic trials qualifying. 
does a, how would a person ever watch that and understand why eighth place gets to go to the Olympics, but third place doesn't. And so we just have to make it easy and approachable. And I'm not saying that fixes everything, but man, it's a start. Like if people can't understand it, you know, if you need like the super insider knowledge to know how to follow the sport or like, there's our barricade, you know, how do you like kind of approach that problem? Is it, is it more on like the organization side where you're trying to make things at least like a tiny bit simpler or is like, is there, are there other ideas around making that type of process more accessible to people who aren't on the inside? Yeah. The goal is, you know, with this, with this series is to have, you know, seven to 10 meets every year and to connect them all and to make a point system and to make it valuable where athletes want to come to the majority of them. And we have to do that. We have to figure out how to make that so valuable that they want to come. And then we have to do our job on the back end of getting like agents and brands to like value those races enough to build into the contracts. Then all of a sudden, and these meets are not, they're not college meets where pros also run. They're pro meets. And and so it won't happen overnight, but if, what if we did that for two or three years and we built up just that continuity of like, people can follow it. And, you know, I'm in LA and I I think of everything as laddering up to the 2028 games. It's like, well, if we do things right, you know, the, the sunset tour meets that we have in July, be like the three best meets in the world leading up to the LA games. Yeah but they're also U S based. Like how cool would that be to have yeah. that good of, you know, so it's not a one and done thing, but I think um, there's a lot of people doing good stuff. And I was saying it earlier, I'm okay with like trying stuff and messing up <laughs> as long as we're trying stuff. Yeah. Cause obviously like the way it's working right now um, outside of Eugene, which is a bit of an anomaly in the, you know, in the world, as far as like track fandom and like the, you know, everything they have, um, they're, the sport's not really working. And so, yeah, I think anything we're trying, like, that's why I never really will fault anybody for like trying something, even if it fails. Like we did stuff when I was at Brooks where we had ideas and we thought it was the greatest idea in the world. And then we're like, eh, maybe we thought it was a good idea. It wasn't that great of an idea. <laughs> yeah. So, Yeah. So it, it, it takes, a, obviously it takes a lot of money though, to incentivize athletes to value this track series over anything else. And so how, how are you thinking about it from a business model perspective of like, obviously there's stepping stones, but like, how do we get to the point where there's enough money in a track series coming in and like, where's it coming from? But how do you get to that point where there's that money coming in that is enough to say, that this is better than your, whatever your 40 K 30 K base salary you're getting from your shoe company. Like this is more valuable to you. Like it, does it involve signing at like signing athletes to like a league? Does it involve uh, like reliance on outside sponsors supporting it? Like, how are you, how are you thinking about that from a business model perspective? Yeah. I mean, sponsorship is key. Um, getting big sponsors involved will help not only create a professional organization because part of our sport is there's not enough people doing this as a job. Yeah. Everybody's kind of just doing it as their side thing. It's or, a side or, yeah. You know? yeah. And so we need people where like 
this is all they do. This is what they're focused on. And I think we need people not only doing that and getting paid for that, which that, that requires a bunch of money, but then you need to have enough money at these meets, whether it's an appearance fee or whether it's so much money on the line for prize money that that itself is enticing enough to come. Um, and then I think once you get the athletes and the continuity, the other stuff comes in. Unfortunately, the way like most of these things work is once it starts working is when it really starts working. Right. But getting it there is the hard part. And so having to find sponsors that believe in it, um, figuring out the broadcast model that, um, that works that not only brings in more fans, but puts money in the athlete's hands. Um, that's, that's a big piece right now is like, how do we get like right now, the NBA players, they share in uh, the TV contract. Yeah. You know, and, um, uh, I, I don't know every single sport and how it works, but, um, that money normally funnels into the athlete's hands one way or another. Mm-hmm. And by far the most money in every sport comes from TV contracts. But in our sport, the biggest TV contract out there, the Olympics, athletes don't get any of that. None of it. I mean, you know, uh, I think Nick Simmons was the one famous for, for talking about how basically, hey, we go there, it, we win a medal and maybe you get like 20 grand or 30 grand, but like they're selling some of the Allison Felix legit is part of the reason NBC paid so much for the broadcast, mm-hmm. but she's not going to get any of that, any of that pie. Yeah. She should get millions of dollars from the U S or from the IOC. Somebody like her who will actually put um, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people on their couch to watch the games, yep. you know, like she should get a piece of that. And I think we have to figure out how to do that on the, um, the domestic level, you know, and even at the diamond league level, like there's huge prize money in the diamond leagues. Um, but it's still the Usain bolts of the world that get probably like 80% of it. And then that, that second tier is still like, you know, maybe they're getting 20 K to show up, 30 K to show up, 10 K to show up. Usain Bolt gets 250K to show up. And that's real money, right, for those pros. Um, I mean, not that 30K per meet or something is bad, but uh, it's still, if you think about it, pretty small. In the U.S., US, we're not even anywhere near that. Right. Definitely. You know. Yeah. Can you talk about, like, the economics of putting on a track meet? I think – so we definitely – and. It's interesting you bring up Nick Simmons too, because we actually, he was our first guest on our podcast and he, he dove into like all, all of these pieces. And I mean, he, he was famous for, you know, at the right time. He brought his, well, he brought his suit against. uh, Oh, exactly. He brought his voice at the right times on the right topics during his career. And it, it it fit perfectly into the, to the overall narrative. Um, And, and I guess you were, you were at Brooks at the same time. And so I'm sure you probably have pretty favorable view view of him as well on, on doing some of those things and being a big voice. Cause I think he really elevated Brooks as a brand as well as a part of it. Cause he was very strategic in the way he did things. But uh, like from the, I think a lot of our listeners, like the, the world of track is such a black box of like, who's getting money. Like, 
who makes money, how much do they make? Like what it, what does it cost to put on an event? Like what all goes into that? Like all these pieces are just kind of like behind the scenes and all you see at the end of the day is the, the YouTube stream or the USATF broadcast of the meet. And so curious if you can elaborate at all on what, like you, now that you've put on some meets, like what, what all does that entail? Like what are the costs to put on an event like that? So like, what do you, what do you have to bring in just even break even on an event like that? And then how do you get to the point where it's, you know, you're, you're making it profitable so that you do have money to then disperse to athletes as prize money or, uh, you know, appearance fees or whatever that is. Yeah, it's, it really depends because there's quite a few different scales of the whole thing. So there's the smallest version of it and there's the biggest version of it. And so um, your costs are your production costs. Um, Now, if you, uh, if you decide to hire that out or to contract that out to uh, flow track or runner space or whoever, um, maybe that isn't a cost. Um, depends if you take it on yourself, it's a pretty big cost. Yeah. Um, and then there's the facility rental, which just depends on the facility. It could be thousand dollars. It could be $20,000 to rent the facility. Um, timing depends on how big your meat is, how much that costs, but that could be thousand dollars it could be ten thousand dollars you know it just depends on the level you're doing it um then there's all the just logistical pieces of you know like little things like you're just to take registration you need some place to do that um you need people's time and you you gotta pay people for their time you need all these volunteers you need um i'm sure i'm forgetting a ton of things you have to get a sanction from usatf which gives you insurance um, or you, you can get it from NACAC or World Athletics, but if it's in the U.S., you're getting it from USATF. There's a fee there. Um, there's your prize money, which is over 50% of your cost for the meet is prize money, if not more. So if you do a meet and your goal is just to do a meet, which that's pretty much for the most part what we did during COVID was we just did a meet, you can pretty much break even if you don't offer prize money. And sadly, that happens a lot. You know, I felt bad. I was like, we did a meet and uh, we did a meet in uh, August and we did the December meet and we didn't do prize money. And I felt horrible. I was like, we shouldn't be having these meets. We can't do prize money. Athletes felt differently because they just wanted to race. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And for some of them, they made money because they hit um, bonuses. Mm -hmm. So a lot of them wanted to race to hit their bonuses or they wanted their Olympic trials standard or whatever, which got them a bonus or gets them to the trials, maybe got them re-signed. So there's value in there. They are getting something from you. Um, but prize money is by far the biggest cost. And it's what really makes or breaks like the level of your field. Um, but for better or worse, our sport isn't completely contingent on that. I mean, I think if this may track me didn't have one penny of prize money in it, I, I think we would have the same fields, Yeah, which is crazy. Yeah. That shows you like, it's kind of broken. Um, we are going to have prize money. We're trying to figure out exactly how much, cause it depends on quite a few things. Um, sponsors and what we end up doing for our broadcast, um, all those things. But 
that's kind of where we go back to what are our goals? You know, mm-hmm. we want to bring as many people to the event as possible, whether that's in person or online. And we want to put as much money in the hands of the athletes. And then you have to be able to pay yourself somehow in there. And that gets tough. You know, it really does. And so that's why sponsors are so important. And we've been lucky. We, we've had really good sponsors, even for our smaller races that helped us pay for things. And then we did some stuff um, this February and March where we did the build the purse stuff where we, we allowed fans to basically say, we basically put it on the fans. We said, Hey, we're putting on this meet. It's going to be on YouTube. Um, that costs us money, but like, that's fine. Put, put some money in the athlete's hands. And I think the first meet we raised about 10 grand and we split that between uh, first and second place in both the men's and women's races. So like, First place got 3,500, second place got 1,500, which is not bad for like a seven person race. That's good. Um, yeah. yeah. And then the next meet, we basically end up giving like a thousand dollars to each winner. Um, which just to show you where our sport is, when I sent them the check, all of them were like, Oh, I didn't know there's prize money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, some, of them, some of them kind of knew about the build the purse stuff. Yeah. But, um, they're just not actually used to it. And so, yeah, I would say those are, I mean, the biggest financial piece is the prize money, but the flip side of what's wrong with our sport and the hardest part is where like the tour de France, they make something crazy. Like I want to say like 80% of their revenue for the tour de France comes from the broadcast. Yeah. Yeah. And for track right now, um, we're either putting it on for free, which means it's a sunken cost for the event because it costs a lot to produce it. Yep. Even if you do the most basic production ever, it still costs a lot. Yep. Um, and you're not really making YouTube money back enough to like, no. you know, you're <laughs> never going to production. No. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm interested, like, because maybe maybe this is just because we're like already bought into the idea of of like at least personally we we think that the sport has a lot of room that it can grow and i think there there is like this end self-sustaining model that it can get to but like what are some of your ideas for getting from here and now to like where it's self-sustaining um yeah so the cool thing that i think when a bunch of the race directors came together during COVID, because I think all of us were like, how are we going to do this? Does anybody know what COVID is, how to test people? Like we had no idea what we're doing. And so we all kind of start sharing ideas and saying, I think we can do a meet, but we're going to do it this way. And we're going to test. And we get calls with USATF. And as we got together, the more we talked, the more we're like, Hey, we need to talk more often so that, we don't pick like accidentally the same weekends because we weren't talking. We're all friends, but we weren't talking. And so we don't pick the same weekends. And so, and then we were like, even better, like we should connect these and make it so that people should go to all these. And so a way to keep it sustainable is these meets already exist. We all have budgets. We all have, uh, uh, 
our own prize money. So that's a great place to start. We're not creating an event out of thin air. Right. We have staff, they have um, fans, they have people that are art uh, facilities, timing. It's not like we're going and figuring that out. It already exists. And so that's a great place to start. Um, if you look at like American track league, all those meets were created out of thin air mm-hmm. and that's hard to do. That's really hard to do. And so, and, and I know Paul, like that's a lot of costs and they have a lot of moving pieces. And so I think that's a good place. And then once you connect all those, you're able to potentially go after sponsors and say, Hey, now we're not just selling you this one event. We're selling you these seven or eight events and they're in these cities and we're going to get these athletes. Um, and here's the value we're going to give you on that. And then can we create a uniform broadcast and storytelling and um, all the different things that go into all way easier said than done. But I think getting that sponsorship and actually once again, making it where these are people's full-time jobs. Like we kept saying every one of the race directors is pretty much, it's just something they do on the side. Mm-hmm. And we're like, well, that doesn't work. Not if we're really going to do it the right. right and, or the series itself needs like a head race director or a head um, PR person or a head content person. So yeah. that that's continuity. That, yeah. We're talking about the broadcast, but really what get people gets people to watch the broadcast is the lead up content. Right. Yep. That is not cheap. Yep. Lead up like building out content is not cheap. Yeah. Um, yep. You know, there's very few. Uh, huh? We're we're very aware. <laughs> yeah, we're we don't all have ten man interns. You know, like, uh, <laughs> you know. So, no, I that that's the thing I keep going back to. I was like, we could have a hundred thousand dollars and put it all into content creation. Yeah, and it would like still just seem like a blip. Yeah, right, you know? right. It was that's, just a scary thing. I mean, I think the good part about creating content is like part of like, you don't have to exactly fund them a hundred percent like for funding content because it, it exists outside of like, say there's like a, a governing body building continuity between these races. Like I think there, at least in the past year, including ourselves, there's been a lot of newer YouTube or other you know, like magazines, et cetera, mm-hmm. in the track and world or track and field world where they're still making money because people consume their content regardless of being part of this series. So right. I guess, I guess that's I'm, what I was going to say too, like building on that, like for say for like the Texas qualifier, for example, like we just put together like a little sizzle reel. So we sponsored the 1500 meter race there. Mm-hmm. Um, and we put together like a, just a sizzle reel, introducing the athletes, kind of like a fun, entertaining vibe, and th- we didn't get paid for it. Like we just did it because we were sponsoring the race. We wanted people to watch the race because we were sponsoring it. And then also, you know, we put it up on YouTube and hopefully grow our grow our user base as well. And so I think there is kind of that opportunity of the, the some of the content creators out there. If they can, if it's like dual purpose where they're not only helping you promote a meet, but also they're getting growth in their audience as well as a part of it or or access to athletes or whatever they're kind of getting in return. Um, there's a potential way to not, you know, to have the, f- the full on production, like cost up front for, for this whole piece. I mean, if you're doing like a, 
a sponsored track series that's multiple meets, like you're going to want to have something more formal than that. Right. But but kind of you know what these one off one off meets, for example, like just giving giving some free reign to maybe some content creators to to do it for free, but hopefully it's helping, you know, bring people into the live stream. I think, I don't know. I, I hope we did a decent job of doing that. Better, I, I mean, you better be careful. Jesse might recruit you for, uh, <laughs> some, I mean, I, I'll, glad, I'll gladly, I'll gladly do it. I thought it was a blast. I, I think, I think doing stuff like that is fun. And it's, it, 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 it kind of leads to also like, just, I was thinking about how, like it is, it's so, it's noble that you're, you know, you want to give, like, basically you're saying any kind of any excess money you have, hosting a meet you're like trying to figure out ways to get it back to the athletes and the prize purse and everything but ultimately also sound running is a business and it's your livelihood so like you got to make money too so i'm like is it and it is kind of an unfortunate i guess place where it is currently where it's almost like the events are just like breaking even to they're just marketing so that you can make money off of other avenues like i don't know like merch or training plans or it's like for us it's like you know we're we're investing our time to build content around this meet and we're just hopefully making money down the road in other avenues just by, you know, the fan base. So I, I, I guess it, there's kind of multiple layers that I just threw at you there, but I, <laughs> yeah. I'm curious that kind of how you think about it is like the events are more just about you building your brand and, and like long term and long term value play on these other areas. Or do you I mean, obviously, hopefully the events become profitable themselves. But is that kind of how you're thinking about it? Yeah, I mean, we do like we make sure that, you know, I, I look at it like we make sure we make money on it, not not money like you would think uh, what you get paid hourly, basic, you know, you get the hours. But we make sure we make money on all these so that we can keep doing it, um, because the worst thing that could happen would be or not good for the sport is if, OK, these different groups just have to keep investing and they make, they don't make enough to keep doing it. Yeah. You know, and that's one of the things that I'm always looking at like, well, it's okay if we do this or this, as long as we do this thing and we actually make really good money here. And one of the pieces is things like ticket sales, which in 2020 not happening, but maybe the second half of 2021, that's, you know, when you look at all those fixed costs, um, ticket sales is just an add on. Yeah. Any, any person that's in those seats and we were looking at it where we, we were going to generate a lot of our prize money from ticket sales, you know, ideally prize money would come from broadcast and from sponsors and whatever. And then ticket sales would be the revenue piece. But even that getting people in seats is very, very, very hard. Um, especially for track meets, like, when we used to do the Brooks PR Invitational, um, we always thought, oh, it's the best high school kids in the entire country racing all at once. Like, this is the coolest thing ever. Everybody's going to show up. And we I, we didn't take that for granted. I was like, no, we're emailing every single coach in the state, and we're going to give them tickets if they want it. And we're going to every club locally, and we're going to talk to them. And we are putting it up on Facebook and we're taking out an ad buy and we're doing all this. And we would still 2,500, 3,000 people, which filled the stadium, made it look, it looked awesome. It was a great experience. That's 3,000 people, not right. 10,000. And, and you shouldn't have to invest that much just to get that many people. Like there, oh, you would hope that, that there'd be enough fans correct. out there that would do it without getting advertised to. They just want to be a part of it. 
Yeah, so we were, I mean, we, we were essentially going like, I felt like door to door to get people to show up on that day because like used car salesman. <laughs> we looked at it. I was like, I know that 99% of people taking this event in are online, but the people that set the budget for the meet and tell me whether I'm doing a good job or, or whether the meet was successful are going to be at the meet. Yeah. And that place needs to be full. Yep. And so when we did that, we were like, I can't, I'm not taking a chance of this place having 500 people that like, we're going to go talk to everybody. And we're, I mean, we probably bothered coaches about it, you know? And one of the things, and this is why I keep going back to um, the value of the sport is so we, we had it for free. I think the first two or three years it was free to get in. And we kind of joked, I was like, you know, when you put a ticket on your, uh, like on your fridge or on the counter and you pay for it, you're not missing that event. You pay for it. Yeah. But if it's just free and you could go or not go, you might just on a Saturday afternoon be like, eh, you know? And so like the third or fourth year we decided to charge and it was like five or $10. It wasn't much, but it was like $10 and our attendance doubled. <laughs> and it was because I think it was valuable. They were like, yeah. Oh, this is a thing. Like it, like it's a, it's not just to all comers show up. Like we attached a value to it. Right. Yeah. And so that's my only argument. I mean, we just did two meets for free on YouTube. Um, and I wasn't against it. I thought that what we were trying to do, it made the most sense, but my problem with that was also like, this is valuable. Yeah. And there should like, we've got to create value. If, if our sport's free, but every other sport there's value, I don't like the way that looks. And I'm all for like, let's figure it out. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, every single sport there is, it costs to watch. Now maybe it's like, you know, you have cable. So ESPN and NBC right. and all these things exist, but you are paying for that. Stuff and for the cable company, it does go to ESPN and it does get filtered, you know? And so for, for this to be free, there has to be either like we have a million subscribers and it works out on the back end, um, yep. which, you know, uh, Simmons is way closer to than any of us are. So, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, so, and it, it, I'm not saying that it's not, I don't know the answer And my biggest problem is that it is like free. I don't like that. I don't like the idea of it being free. Cause I'm like, well, this is valuable. Why is our sport not valuable? Why is it not worth um, $10 to watch? You know, I know people that don't know anything about MMA and they'll go, in, they'll go in on a fight one week and they'll be like, Oh, it's 80 bucks. I'll chip in 10. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think that also speaks to like some higher level organization building continuity. Cause all, all of the MMA fights, all everything in UFC has like a three month buildup. There's a shitload yeah. of content. Um, exactly. there's, like there's all this excitement around it. And then there's also like the, I don't know how, but somehow they like, in, I swear they like encourage people to go in on it together and like make it an event for them. Yeah. They do a better job than anybody about. Totally. I don't like MMA. I'm not an MMA fan. I, it's like 
maybe a little too violent for me. Mm -hmm. Um, but I love the lead up and I, and I care who wins, but I don't really even want to watch the clip of him winning or her winning because brutal, (laughs) but, but I'm consuming all the lead up content. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I'm ready for this, uh, Jake Paul to get the living crap beat out of him whenever that's happening. I shouldn't even know about that because I'm not going to watch it. Right. Right. But they do such a good job and that's why it makes sense that they got YouTube personalities involved because those guys know how to bring people in and how to make them care about what they're doing. And track has some pretty cool and unique creators out there. And I I would say there's, there's more than I can even count right now. Cause when we start looking at like uh, media credential requests for our event, like you get more of those than we do athletes. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah because yeah. everybody now has like oh i'm working on this documentary or i have a channel or i have this or i'm a photographer and which is amazing um but we got to figure out how to take that to more people and then how to have it funnel all to this one thing which is the pay-per-view or whatever right. it is i think it's very similar to your conversation with the other race directors like I, I think that content creators ourselves included again like could do a way better job of collaborating uh with each other to make sure that like we're all pushing in the same direction so it's much more of like we're building on top of each other as opposed to like doing way different things and kind of like cool. distracting from the narrative around track and field maybe yeah, but also but also at the same time i think part of the problem though is that like what incentive does a top track and field athlete have to work with any content creator? Like they, they do to some extent, like obviously your, your social media following, et cetera, plays in, but again, what's going to make you the most money if you do well at the Olympics. And so if I'm the reigning gold medalist, Matt Centrowitz, I do zero podcasts. I do zero, any sort of content. Cause why do I have to, you know, I make plenty of money, I won the medal. I'm going to win the next medal or I'm going to make the next Olympic team. That's all I care about. And so like, sure, we could do a better job coordinating, but really as a content creator in the wow. space, that's doing it basically as a side hustle pro bono. Well, yeah, at a, at a loss, you're really just getting who you can get. And it's not so much like I have the option to say, let's build on this Craig Engel storyline. It's like, <laughs> I'm getting who I can get and that's all I can get, you know? Yeah. So I think there's also that piece of it where there's not, I think there is, like kind of similar to charging for viewership. I I think there is like money missing, but I guess to your point of like, why would people speak to media? Like look at like sit and kick just announced that they were like paying everybody who appears on the podcast, which I think is like a net good thing. But the question is, how does that become sustainable? Like I think eventually it is a self-sustaining piece of the sport but it's but it but it only but it's only self-sustaining if the so then if they get enough listeners that then they get a sponsor that then covers it is like the only way to make it self-sustaining so basically you need yeah you you need to build your overall audience in order to get sponsors interested but you also need to get enough sponsors interested to make enough money to be able to build the audience to have good content so it's it is just like a iterative process of you kind of got to chip away at it you know a little bit at a time um and i wanted to bring up that you talked about like the free stream being a bad thing and i think that i mean I, i i agree with that in that 
if everyone expects something to be free, they're never going to want to pay for it, whether it's in person or, you know, paying for it online. And, and I think there's a, a lot of the, a lot of what, at least what I hear in track and field now, like kind of the younger people, the content creator side is like, the sport should be free. Like the sport would be so much better if it was just free access, but then I, that doesn't really make sense to me. And there's also just tons of hate on flow track out there too, on like they have paywalls, they do this, they do that. But I don't know, I guess from my side, I, I see where, yeah, maybe it, it's a barrier to some people watching it, but also like the reason flow track has to have a paywall and make money is because they have to pay a lot of money to produce events. And so what's their incentive to produce events and do a good quality job if they're not making money right. to support that. And so I also completely understand and like, like personally would be willing to pay a subscription to event, like event coverage as a part of that. Now, I mean, you know, everyone has their different thoughts on flow check, but I guess go, going into that piece of it, maybe a little bit more like what, do, how do you feel about all this like hatred on, on flow track that seems to be out there. And then also like, there's been a ton of praise about the recent meets being free on YouTube, like trials and miles. And, but, but again, like, is that sustainable longer term to be able to do that? Is that the, is that really what the right move is for the sport? Well, so two parts real quick, I would say, no, it's not sustainable. It costs a lot of money. Um, so you can do that a couple times. You can get sponsors in, but you're not going to go anywhere with it. You're not going to get, um, there, there's versions of it free though. will never really work. I, I, I truly believe that because yeah, you free is also a loaded term too. Yeah, you need, you need money from somewhere. Yep. Even if you look at the, the language we used leading up to the 10 and the sound running invite, we never said the word free. I was adamant. I was like, it's on YouTube. Everybody knows it's free, but I'm not going to ever say the word free ever. Yeah. And I think I learned that at Brooks, like we never discounted our stuff. We've always wanted to be premium. And I would say, so that's that piece about, I don't think it's sustainable. Now the flow track runner space. Um, it's crazy to me that they're getting crap for our paywall. Um, we get to watch it. Like it's a, the new normal is that every single event you ever want to see, you can watch now. Mm-hmm. That is because of them. Yep. Like it started because of them. Um, they've built this infrastructure. Now they're doing a lot of things and they do have fixed costs and they have become bigger companies. Um, when I started working with Flowtrack at Brooks, they had three people. Yeah. And I don't know how many they have now, a couple hundred. And and they're obviously a much bigger entity and they're to be nimble and to like make the 16 year old happy. Like maybe they don't move as quick as they did probably then um, at at, uh, hearing people and and reacting. And, but I would say the reason that now um, the new norm is there's not a meet out there that's not online somewhere. Right. Yeah. And it's because of flow track and runner space. They made it normal. They showed up to everything. I mean, for years it was like Ross, you know, at runner space showing up on his own, you know, um, or it was Mark Floriani showing up at his own and, and they were filming it themselves for eight hours at the Texas state meet or the Washington state, whatever it was. And so 
we owe them so much. Um, now, I I have some events that are with FlowTrack, and then we also have some events we're doing differently. And like I said, that's an effort just to try different stuff. And we have stuff that we're going to announce in the next couple of weeks that I think is a is steps to trying to do something different. But everything that's out there right now, think about like even just the Cribs series that they did with athletes and the workout Wednesdays, they started all of that stuff. Yeah. And the fact that um, we're able to watch all these USATF road races because of runner space. And yeah. I mean, getting USATF on board, I mean, even USATF had to say, Oh, what you guys are doing is so valuable. Like we're going to get involved. And I, I, I don't see the hate. I see, maybe thinking, and maybe there's something better and that's okay. Thinking there's something better is totally everybody's prerogative, but hating on them yeah. kills me. I'm like, yeah, guys, these guys are, you know, running the sport for the last de- decade. And, uh, but I, it's what we're doing with the free stuff. Um, it's really cool. And I think kudos to everybody for doing it. Cause like, the city of some trials a miles group in, in Austin, like that was a great production it costs a lot yeah. and to do that a couple more times. Like you can bring in sponsors and break even, but what we're really trying to do is we don't want to break even. We want not only 50 to hundred K in prize money at each meet or more, yeah. but we want like a full-time staff where right. now we're creating content, we're doing all these things. And so, that just takes more like we can't do that and have it be for free but while we're figuring it out freeze you know it is what it is like that's what we're doing right so i don't know there's no right or there's no right answer but i do think that those are the problems we're up against i think as somebody who's like more on the or at least like in some recent times i've been more on like the free side but like i'm sort of on the fence slash like a convert. I think what people are really missing from like, I guess like they're misinterpreting the value of flow track runner space, et cetera, because we look at other sports and granted those aren't free. And I think from my own perspective, what I see is there's like this little sliver of value on top which is the narrative, like this continuous series across a season, yada, yada, yada. Like there's all these side avenues for different types of content to like spawn out of that. And what I think people are missing is we don't have a very well articulated version of that in running. Like if, if FlowTrack put on, if they broadcasted, if they put on a deal with, with sound running and they had every single meet, um, broadcasted, you ha- you just bought like a seven meet subscription and then there was content around that. I don't think people would complain at all that it wasn't free. Yeah. And that's, and maybe that's something you'll see in the future. I, I think I, I would say like, I mean, I went to go watch NCAAs a couple weekends ago or a couple weeks ago and I went to go pay the ESPN plus whatever and I couldn't watch it because you also needed cable. And I was so mad. I, you know, throw my computer off the roof. I was so mad. Yeah. And I was like, well, this should be easy. How is this a thing? And so 
I get people get frustrated because there's paywalls here and there. And for me, it's, it's, it's complete, not money thing. It's a laziness thing. I just want to be able to just watch it. Right. Yeah. So the ESPN thing. I was like, I just want to watch it. Like I'll give you the money, but like stop making it a pain in the ass. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and so, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I've been on the fence. I, the free stuff, like I liked it, but I, I like it for the laziness in my personality, but I, I don't like it for the value of the sport. Yeah. And not that I don't see why it's happening. I know why it's happening and I know why we did it, but I, I don't think it's uh, overall the direction because my biggest argument is the more money that's in our sport, the better our sport and the bigger our sport will be Right. in every other sport. They get the majority of the revenue from the broadcast. Yeah. Right. So like, that's the one thing that I'm like, we have to figure this out because every other sport, that's where they're getting all their money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's where we're saying, Oh no, no, that's free. And, right. and we're already an underfunded sport as is. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's pretty backwards, but I do agree that like, maybe it's the loud minority. Cause you hear like this fodder online of like, yeah, of course, free, free, free. free. And it seems like more people than I think it is. That's probably yeah. true. That's probably true. I mean, I, I guess, yeah, my, my saying that is me listening to other running podcasts or seeing, you know, certain like running Insta accounts, whoever it is, like you, you have a few of the bigger players in a given area, like a, the, a few bigger podcasts and a couple, like they'll, they'll mention that I hate flow track for this reason, this reason. And then you just kind of think, Oh, everyone hates flow track. But, but in reality, like you, like you said, I mean, before, could you watch your, 12 year old kid at the AAU championships, like as a parent or a cousin or a relative, like you could never do that before a runner space or flow track. So you couldn't even watch, uh, you know, any of these professional meets, the Portland track festival, or you couldn't watch a Texas state meet, or you couldn't watch big 12 track, you know, and all of these things came from that to the point to where now all those are like really valuable, um, pieces of, you know, kind of, broadcast property that uh oh, yeah. people are battling for now but yeah. which is a good thing that's what we want you Most know definitely. and in flow track will pay i mean people do they flow track and runner space they pay for these events yeah so they're putting money into the sport one way or another now are we at the uh nbc olympic uh contract level <laughs> no but could we get there like if, if the content is valuable enough, if whoever it is thinks they're going to, I mean, why does Netflix pay, you know, whatever they pay for a movie or a show it's because they think they're going to get that many more subscribers because of it. Mm-hmm. And if runner space or flow track thinks whatever we're doing is going to bring them more subscribers, they'll pay and you, they'll pay probably something pretty nice, but, uh, it's just gonna like, it's a chicken and egg. Yeah, of course. Yes. Of course. The value and course. we have to, and they have to bet on it. And, and so, yeah, I think, yeah, maybe I hope it's a small minority of people that are just really loud on social media. Yeah. I, I, I think the, the silver lining is they, they have similar ideas around growing the sport, but I think theirs is viewership first athlete second and finally 
actually paying folks like yourself, which is, I, I think it's just a difference in terms of prioritization of, of where the money's going. Yeah. The organizations have to be big enough. If you think about when I think of subscription, I think of Netflix and I think that, okay, the movie gets paid 40 million to, to get exclusively put on Netflix. I'm throwing numbers out there. Mm -hmm. Um, but that trickles down where like the, each actor got paid, you know, whatever they got paid to do the movie because it was enough money. And, but all of that is because the value was high enough to do that. And so I think that if we put on a series or an event that's so valuable, I'm just going to make up a number. Let's say Flowtrack paid us a uh, million dollars to do the series. Well, we could have a staff, we could pay event costs and we mm -hmm. can still we could put a hundred grand into each meet and then people in the prize money would be deep and it would be really good. Yeah. And so that money would funnel down. So yeah. it's, I would say the, uh, the hierarchy exists. Yeah. The numbers are just really small right now. And so now if you get paid to do an event, it's small enough that like, even if you tr transfer a hundred percent of that down to the athletes, it's really small. It's not yep. negligible. And yep. so we have to create something valuable enough for them to give us, you know, more money. And so they're, they have a, a system set up and I know they know the numbers of, I mean, there's all these people complaining about subscriptions, but I guarantee you they wouldn't do it if it wasn't making money. Of course. Of course. And so it must be working. Right. Well, yeah, otherwise there would be the Netflix, about, you know, they'd go out of business. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, you need, yeah, you got to have the big fish at the top. That's willing to take the financial risk up front in order to get the, the payday, uh, you know, the payday down the line, like a, yeah. like a flow track puts them a million up front because they can afford the risk and then they'll, you know, hopefully capitalize, recoup the money down the line. But then, then that way you get to disperse money to athletes. You get to hire your team, all of, all of those pieces as well. It sounds like you need either a bank to just give you like a couple million dollar loan um, or you need Nick Simmons's YouTube channel to, <laughs> to stream it so that yeah, when, when you have 200,000 people watching the meet at once and you're making ad money on all of them, then you got your production costs covered. <laughs> I think I think those are the two two best options for you. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the uh, the interesting thing is like <sighs> it's there it's it's there and the, and i think that's the the sport is not broken in that respect i think there it, it it can happen yeah so it's not like it's so broken that we can't do it but um the whole other piece of outside of the broadcast is all the other sports have a really simple beginning and end um and it's one game mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's not 15 events all different outcomes, all different metrics. It's one game. Yeah. And track is really, really hard because it's all these different events that kind of appeal to different people, which should be good in a way, but some of them are so different than others. Like a good example is, you know, being at these races and then the 10 K starts and the crowd just leaves. Right. <laughs> yeah. Or, or just the fact that, uh, different people like at the Texas stadium is one of the craziest, most awesome track meets. Cause they'll have like 30,000 people in that stadium every day. Mm -hmm. And 
it, it, the event, people come for different events mm-hmm. and h- how do you do that? How do you package that all together? Right. And some events are better on TV than others. And some races are better for TV than others, mm-hmm. you know, like, and how do you package that? And that's the piece that like, some really creative person out there, or we might have to chop up track and field to a point that people won't be happy about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, think about long jump and triple jump. I went to Rio and I was watching the men's long jump and it was happening on the other side of the, so I was like third row where I, if I was on the other side of the stadium, I'd have front row with a triple jump or long, but it was happening on the other side of the stadium. And if you're watching triple jump or long jump or any of those things close up, it's the most amazing thing ever. It's insane. If you're watching across the stadium, you get no real um, relevance or whatever to what's happening. Yeah. And so how do we do, how do we deal with that? You know, and same with high jump or any of those events, like how do we really show how unbelievable it is? And how do we package that all into like two hours or two and a half hours where like there's a beginning and an end. Right. For sure. How do you make fans out of that without like, Oh, the one person I follow is not competing. I'm not watching today. For sure. Yeah. Is it teams? Is it, do we have to just separate events? Is it like sprints, distance, field events, and they're like separate broadcasts? Mm -hmm. Is it, and I don't know any of those things, but, I feel like that's one of our bigger problems. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, I personally, my, my thought is that the team piece would be huge. Like if you had, if you had like a, a distance runner and a shot putter and a triple jumper that are all like, this is like the Brooks team and they're taking on the Bowerman team that has also the same people in the same events. And it's like each place matters. It's a sum of those scores across those events uh, like that, that would be way more entertaining. There's stakes on every individual event as well as the, the event as a whole at, at the team level. And one, one thing that I thought was really cool, and I, I don't know if they still do this, but like the Drake relays, I grew up in Iowa, the Drake relays, they, they did have some one-off events. And I guess they've done this like Usain Bolt's run, uh, races that are like staged, not on a track, but like they had the pole vault like in the mall in Des Moines as its yeah. own event. And it's like, yeah, when you're in, in the mall hallway or whatever, and you like, you're right up front and center looking up at this pole vault, you realize how insane it is, how high they're getting. And so that, that kind of that close atmosphere, but also the one-off events can be really hyped up in a way that does work. Now translating that to like a, how many people are going to tune into a stream that's only pole vaulting. I don't know. Yeah. Like that's where it gets a little, maybe a little trickier, <laughs> but there is something to be said for that where, like giving justice to the like to the couple of events that you're trying to tell the story around in a given a given day, there there's there's a way to do it. There's a way to package it, but yeah, it's 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 tough it's tough to do in a way that it makes economical sense as well for the person producing it to keep to break out all these pieces. But I mean, I, I personally would just love to see teams. I would love to see rivalries, teams, whether it's you know distance versus distance or like at the full level, just like in high school, you. Like you stick around the end of the meet to watch the four by four because your team's gonna your high school team's racing the other high school team. It's it could be the same thing potentially in in track as well, and I, I think that would be a lot more fun. One of the things we're trying to do with the track series is so there's this overall point total, 
And it's across all events, genders, everything. So you could be, what we try to do is every event is represented four times in the series. And we're going to take your three highest kind of points, your scores on the IWF table or world effects table. And so you could get to, and you can look at it as real time. We'll always update it, but you get to the last meet of the year and you're like, well, Shelby Houlihan just won the 1500. She's in first, but Joe Kovacs, if he throws this far in his next throw, he actually will leapfrog her. Yeah. Oh, and Christian Taylor, he still has two jumps left. And if he does X or Y or whatever, he moves like so. It's and it's 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 like articulating those scenarios, I think. I mean, I think it's really akin to like people who pay attention to prop bets for football. Like there are certain channels where you have like all these possible scenarios and that's what makes for people who don't know how, how far is a good triple jump? I don't know. All I know is I need this person to jump this far in order for like this to pay off for me. So exactly. You have your own betting. And then also like that person, like you said, if, if it's like Shelby against Kovacs, it's like the winner of this is taking home a hundred grand. So there's like big stakes on it. So then everyone's getting like super excited about it. Like who's going to get this hundred grand. It's going to change their life. You know, like, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) There's a lot you can do there. If there's money, there's a lot you can do there. (laughs) And they're, they're interacting and like, there's a reason to watch. If you're a distance fan, there's a reason to watch maybe the shot put because now it's all relevant, you mm-hmm. know, and maybe, maybe before, maybe you didn't really watch the shot put closely, but now you are, you, 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 you talked about the betting part. And I think tracks probably like the easiest thing in the world to bet on. Yeah. Um, we haven't seen much of it. I, I know here in California, I'm just waiting patiently for them to, oh. Yeah, I, because that on the day that they do that, we will have full on betting at all of my meet. Cause, but yep. California where it didn't happen in for, for a while. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I pissed away my entire weekend last weekend because I was just researching all of the gambling laws across the States. And it, it I mean, it, it's come a long way in the last couple of years, but I, it's got a ways to go, especially in places like California. Yeah. I thought that because of COVID, it actually got put on the November. I thought it got, it got put on the November docket for like voting, but I don't know if it got what happened, but it, it obviously it's not happening, but because of COVID and because of the loss in revenue and all these things, like it kind of jumped up two or three years. So I thought it was going to be four or five years. And now I think like in the next two years it'll happen, but that's still pretty slow. Right. And, and she's got to take into consideration betting across state lines and it's kind of a shit show. It's complicated. And but, but it can happen because there I mean, there are tons of businesses that do it for other sports. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a in the realm of possibility, I think. Yeah, and I think it'll be really big for this sport because you want to talk about something that could bring random people in to watch? Bingo. Yeah. For sure. Gambling money, you know, or, yeah, or something. Yeah. I mean, that's one. it's like being such a statistic driven sport like track and field. It's, it's a pro and con. And one of the major pros is people love betting on something that's oh, statistics definitely. driven. Yeah. We went to uh, the trials. Uh, I don't remember which year it was. And 
we, there was a couple guys that I work with who they're not really track guys, but they, they worked at Brooks and they were like, Hey, I want to go to the trials. This sounds awesome. Like, and there were about three or four of us were track guys, maybe two or three weren't. And we played this game, whether we should or not, I guess like, uh, we did dollar bets and it was first and last. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. (laughs) It was so fun because not that you ever want somebody to get last, but being right about who got last was almost more fun of being right about who got first. And we did it in every race. Didn't matter if it was a heat, a final, a hundred, a 10, it didn't matter. And you had to pick and whatever down the line you were, you got, you know, either the first pick or you got the last pick. And it was so much fun. And the, the guys who were not big track fans were so into it. And I wouldn't say the people that knew a lot about track did any better than the people that didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So that, that's, that's also really cool. That's also, yeah, it's also super cool. Cause usually you do just focus at the front of the race too. So now you're also like looking at the entire field and like really trying to analyze and like caring about who's kicking who down at the back of the field, which is like, <laughs> yeah. I never really thought about that. Cause yeah, most, most of the time you're just betting on first, second, third and most, most events. So it was the only time I've ever done that. And I always think about it because I think of, it was so much fun. Yeah. And right. I cared about every single race. Yeah. You know, yeah. so betting yeah. will definitely help. For sure. If we get the, get like the, the organization that runs, runs the sports books. So they're siphoning off their fees. If they're affiliated with the, the track series, so that fee, those fees can just funnel back to the athletes. That would be, that'd be a great setup. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I think there's a lot of money to be made there. So somebody that, uh, knows programming and uh knows the laws to get to get to work <laughs> uh may, may, okay let's let's close out with a couple uh more lighthearted things here i got a couple listed so so one uh i guess this was this was you you saw a tweet that said fact running weeks start on sunday oh yeah I disagree but i want to hear your reasoning before i <laughs> so i have tons of friends and we go back and forth on this all the time. And so I just thought about like how I build my week and I've always been Sunday to Saturday. And so, I don't know, I just randomly threw that out there, but it was a point of contention for sure. People were like legitimately mad at me. And <laughs> the one thing that I'll say, and I, I truly believe this is that's how I grew up. My coach set up our weeks that way. But if you look at the Garmin Strava generation, they, they are set up Monday to Sunday. Mm-hmm. And so I really think it's actually like where you are in like wh- where you started. Yeah. And so if you're maybe under 30, you're like, this guy's insane. <laughs> but if you grew up when I grew up, it's like, but I also go back to this, pull up your iPhone, look at the calendar on your iPhone, <laughs> look at every single calendar that's ever been made and printed. True. Yeah. For I think, sure. I, think, I mean, it, it, Sunday well, is the first day of the week. Here's back, the weird thing. I use Strava now. I started, I only started a year ago because I was really big about not tracking my mileage. Yeah. I didn't yeah. like to, but during the pandemic, I kind of wanted like a blueprint of like what I did. And so it bothers me because I'm Sunday to Saturday, but every time I look at this thing, it's telling me right. 
Monday. And so I'm like, wait, 30, I'm that, what am I at? I'm like, like what do I have to run? Yeah. 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 And I'm like, it's OCD when you're like not following what's in front of you. You're, you have your own. Yeah. It's funny you mention that because I, I, maybe I'm delusional, but I swear Garmin used to give you the option to specify like when you started. They might. I but feel I like they, they do. I think it's buried in there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I, I want to say that I've seen that, but I, I realized I was like, well, I'm, I'm arguing with people that have like only ever lived on Strava <laughs> and they probably do think I'm insane, but yeah. That was the way we set up our weeks. <laughs> if, if I were to do long runs on Sundays, then I, then I think I would start my week on Sunday, but because I do long runs on Saturdays and, and just because I, well, I guess it still would make, that's not a good argument. Cause I guess no, Saturday I, long run still makes sense starting Sunday. Cause then you end your week with a long run. But I, I think it's more for me, like the, just the, my work week starts on Monday. My week starts on Monday. Sure. I don't yeah. know. I don't know what it is, but oh, it's, it's not like a, it's whatever you're used to. And so I've been doing it forever where the one thing I do like is I don't make my long run. Um, like people will get to the end of the week and they're like, well, I need 18 today or I need 15 or whatever. I do the long run that I need to do or that I, that I should be doing. Right. And my week just kind of now granted I might get to Saturday and I might take a five mile day because I hit my mileage or whatever. So I guess I still do it on the backside, but I would always hear about people like doing these crazy long runs, hit their mileage. Yeah, mileage. Like, oh shit. Yeah. That's, that's my, like the one inkling I have to being okay with starting my week on Sunday. Cause yeah, I hate getting to Sunday and be like, wow, not only do I have to run like an extra mile or two, but I still have to do a workout and I have to start my next training week, like feeling like shit. Yeah. <laughs> Fair yeah, enough. Definitely though. I was blown away at like how, uh, how contentious it was. Yeah. Like people were mad. They were like, you, you don't know anything about running. They were like <laughs> there were people that discredited my whole life because I put that oh out there. And, and yeah. it was so entertaining. Yeah. yeah that's, that's great. I mean, it, it, whatever you're used to, it doesn't, it shouldn't really matter, but you know, uh, <laughs> it's funny. All right. What, one other fun one here. So you, between your time at Brooks, and starting sound running, you took uh, basically a year off sabbatical. Um, I'm actually taking a sabbatical for three months this summer. Get my first break from work, you know, since starting my career, you know, whatever, however many years ago now. I can't remember yeah, how long ago I graduated. But a- any tips or things that you would recommend that I make sure to do during this sabbatical time? Or, or do you recommend I, I d- absolutely just don't worry about doing anything and really, really take a reset here? Well, I would say, um, reset for sure. I mean, I reset to the point where I was like worried that I couldn't ever really work. I was like, I would see people walking in suits like at lunch. And I was like, I don't know how these people work. I I was like out, but, uh, the one thing that, and I'm sure you guys like you're motivated people and you, I thought that my job and what I did I thought that if I left for a day, it would all fall to pieces. And then I thought it was all contingent on me and whether I was tethered to my phone or tethered to my email, which I was 24 mm-hmm. um, seven. I thought, Oh, this, none of this works without me. And my sub, and I also thought this whole world that I'm so enthralled with is all there is. 
those two things changed drastically when I took a sabbatical because right away you realize things go on without you. You're not that important. You know, like your job will be there. Somebody else will do it. They'll do fine. Everything will work. Um, And you also realize, man, I was so obsessed with like certain things that were happening in the sport. And I got so either happy or upset about things that happen. And like one month in, I was like, I don't know why I cared about that. (laughs) I I cannot believe that I like would lose sleep over this, which now I don't even look at or don't care about. And so it's a really good refresh for the fact that like, I mean, here I am back in the sport and trying to do things, but I feel like from a very different angle and with a different mindset, um, but as soon as you take that sabbatical, I, I feel like if you do it right, you'll come out of it going, okay, there's so much more out here. I'm focused on like this tiny little piece of the world that I think everything is focused on. And I, I came down here and I met people and like, they didn't know what Brooks was. They didn't know there was such thing as professional track athletes. They didn't know, like, even now when I say like, oh, we do these events and we do this and they're like, what? I mean, so it gives you perspective and it hopefully makes you, you know, reinvigorated in uh, what you're doing and, you know, whatever. But for me, it was like eye opening in terms of like, oh, I don't have to look at my email 24 seven. So I like never, I didn't put email back on my phone until like somewhat recently. Mm hmm. And I still have like rules about it, yeah. but I was like, you know, like everybody, I'm like constantly looking at my email. So it changed a couple habits too, bad habits. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, you know, if you're like a, uh, I guess go getter kind of competitive person, whether it's in the workplace or whatever, it's yep. Yep. You know, getting those bad habits. Definitely. Yeah. No, that's great. I mean, that's, that's exactly what I'm hoping to get out of it is basically, uh, a step back in perspective as well as just like remembering what it's like to not be in a constant state of like distraction slash a million things going on, whatever. And, and just like getting away from that for a little bit. So definitely aligned with what, with what you're saying there. Yeah, are you going to, what are you going to do? I am going to, uh, with my wife, we actually both got a sabbatical for three months and we are going to just, we got Airbnbs in the mountains in Colorado's and I'm just going to run and trail run and keep the podcast going, but that's fun. So I'm not, I'm not, uh, yeah, that's yeah. not, a, that's not stressful, but yeah, yeah, literally just get up every morning, look at the mountains, drink coffee, and then go for a trail run and then see where the day takes me. That's, and that's pretty much it. Go back. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Dude, I feel like there's, there's going to be some major like animosity when I'm still working and like I just see all your fucking Snapchats. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be hanging out. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, I have to be. Uh, I on purpose probably once a week, and I don't really post that often on Instagram or anything. But once a week, I'll put a post up and I make sure to put like the temperature. Because I want all my friends to be like, it's 75 there right now. <laughs> and, and it's completely 
for it to like get it every i i'm ready for like all those texts to come through like you asshole you, you know, <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know, about once a week just to remind everybody that's great that's great i'm gonna do that i'm gonna do that daily you're, you're gonna get it daily not oh, weekly I'm sure. yeah. every day it's gonna be like 70 in the mountains i'm just gonna be enjoying the mountain air it's gonna be great yeah, yeah. <laughs> run today took a three-hour nap yep yep exactly <laughs> That's awesome. Awesome. Well, anything else that you want to plug words of wisdom? I guess you gave us a lot of words of wisdom already. So any, anything else that you want to plug or I guess besides tuning in to the sound running meets in May in July, I mean, obviously those are big ones following sound running on Instagram to make sure that people are getting the latest and greatest on, on updates, anything else? Um, yeah, I would say like we're there's a lot of big stuff coming, um, this summer. Um, I think we have some cool announcements, I always think like things are really good if you're like nervous about them because mm-hmm. if you're not nervous, it's like not challenging. Big it's not big yeah. So there's a, there's some big stuff coming up and I, our May event looks really, really like it looks, man, it looks awesome. And so we will, as the month goes on, start announcing who's running and, you know, our goal is to have two or three weeks of like build up. So yes. we're trying to close registration down early so that we can say, Hey, look, who's racing and then have plenty of time to talk about it. Um, track and field's a little, there's still a lot of people that are last second. And I I think that's part of it also. It's hard to follow because people don't know who's racing who or when. Um, so we're going to try to do that. So that's probably the next biggest thing. Um, follow along and, uh, go get that vaccine so we can, uh, you know, get life back online here and uh, see everybody in Eugene. Awesome. Thanks, Jesse. Thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. Yeah, no, guys, it's appreciated a lot. This is great. All right. All right. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, we just had a great discussion with Jesse and we actually had a lot of fun talking to him after we finished recording as well. He's he's got a lot of insights in the sport and I learned a lot this episode, I must say. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm much more optimistic generally about track and field after that conversation. I'm so, with you. I feel good. I'm with you. Very excited to see the sound running meets in May. A lot of Olympic trials times, probably Olympic standards as well. Who knows? Maybe even an American record or two. Like it's it's going to be hype. It's yeah, going to be available to watch online. And so get excited for that. Yeah. As Jesse said, stay tuned. Uh, follow them on Instagram. I know I know they're releasing some pretty big news uh, in the next couple of weeks. So yep. check it out. All right, so let's get into, as we usually do, the beer of the week. And again, this is courtesy of Ryan in Wisconsin, uh, Fifth Ward Brewing Company. This is the second of three beers that he sent us from Fifth Ward. We got the Coleman Crocus Honey Saffron Wheat Ale. That's awesome. It's a, it's a cool name. I just love that. It is like such a unique combo of things, honey and saffron in a wheat ale. Like, I just don't know what, what is, to expect. What is saffron like? Does that have a taste? It's yeah, it's definitely a like taste, a spice that but you I, cook I with? couldn't tell you like what it is. Mm. But yes, it is a spice that you cook with. So how, how obvious? Hold my mic. I gotta open this. How way. obvious is it that we're white? If if I don't know if that's a spice or not. White, pe- white? Yeah, white people don't use spices. What are you talking about? Like they all, all they know is salt and pepper. You know. That's Wait, what, you that's just whoa, 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 pour, pour your jobby. <gasps> Jesus, have fucking- it. <laughs> (laughs) 
Sorry for those for those listening to the audio. I accidentally just took a drink out of the bottle instead of pouring it first, just out of habit. It's a good um, thing we had to get COVID tests before this for traveling to meets because because Adam doesn't trust me. <laughs> yeah, you're yeah. dirty. Okay, okay. It's a beautiful color. I mean, first of all, X Factor, like nice, perfect nice head. And I poured it great. It's good. Yeah, it's good pour. All right. Dude, uh, hot take people who, you know how some people like pour it to where it doesn't make any foam? Fucking hate it when they do that. It's got to be a little bit of foam. Well, it's dependent on the beer type. Some beer what? types you want like third head or yeah. third of it's ahead. Some beers you want just a little bit. Yeah. But I'm always, I mean, a, I'm always a fan of having big having head a, guy. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you knew where I was going with that. I knew where you were going with that. I was trying to talk you out of going there, uh, but you went uh, there anyway. So, hey, that's okay. There's no no filters on this podcast. Give it a taste. Mm. That's a lot le- like for a wheat beer, that's a lot less um I don't know. Has a lot less like kick than I would think for a, for a wheat beer. Less kick. Do wheat beers have kick? It tastes like not. It doesn't taste flat. I'm trying to find the words to like. There wasn't it. much head on it. That's for sure. So, okay. I my we, first. We still need a brewmaster on the show. We do need a brewmaster on the show. That needs to come soon. But so my first hot take, and I don't know if this is. So we had the APA in last right. episode, and right. the APA. I would say it would like. Regardless of what you think of the taste, like APAs typically less drinkable than wheats. As far as like you don't want to drink as many. I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's my own opinion. But what I was going to say was this because of the flavors, the honey and the saffron, I would say this is much less drinkable than the APA from last episode. Let's rate it. Drinkability out of 10. Let me get one more sip. I think we rated uh probably have to go back i think we rated it like an, an eight, eight or i think nine. we rated an eight yeah All right. i mean I, i'll Three, go two one seven eight. heaven yeah i think it's close i my x factor for the drinkability is i think this is a beer that after the second beer the honey and saffron would like throw you less of a curveball after oh, beer number you, two, so it's and like then an acquired like adjust, taste. Yeah, you would adjust okay. to it and be like, "Wow, this is really good." That could be. Yeah, that could be because it doesn't. It doesn't have any like offsetting qualities for the drinkability. If that makes sense, I, I see what you mean. Like especially with APAs or IPAs, you're like, "Yeah, this is this tastes good," but it's not something that I could have more than one or two of. Whereas this, like, I feel like I could make it to four, and then by then you're like, "Yeah, I'm just gonna have it for the rest of the night." I I, I think I'm with you on that. I I would agree. This. I'm still trying to like figure out in my palate like the the differentiating the honey and the saffron. I was I was just gonna say the same thing. I was like, it definitely tastes unique. I just can't really like like it's not quite just honey, and I don't know what saffron tastes, but I guess that's it. I like I need to have like a smell of saffron on the side to like know what I'm looking for. Yeah, Jax, go get us some saffron. (laughs) Let me order the uh, Instacart real quick. (laughs) Okay, let's rate. Let's rate uh, taste then. Taste, okay. Get one more. All right, are you ready? I think I'm ready. Okay. Yeah. Three, two, one, nine. 
Okay. I'll just go seven again. I mean, I know it's like the bad, the safe thing. I I, yeah, I would say, so I, I would absolutely, it, if I I'm, think it pops off. Absolutely. If I was at a brewery, like no hesitations ordering this, you know, maybe ordering a couple, like, and if I saw this on the menu, I would absolutely, like I, I would go for wheats often anyway. The, True. The, the honey, sa- I just don't know if I like the, the saffron. I just don't know if I do yet. Hmm. I don't dislike it. I'm just, I just I, don't know if I like yeah, it. Yeah. I think so. Like the reason I rated it a nine, I don't know if it's my favorite. Like it's not a 10. But it's different enough to where it's like recognizable and it's still pretty darn good. Oh, I'm kind of excited that I get like another go. little Top sample off glass. I don't know. There's something about drinking this out of this little sampler glass. I, makes dude, it, I love these. We're things. so fancy. We need to get Ooh. we need to get like five ounce samplers with our logo uh, Ooh, on that, them. We could definitely. That's easy. That's easy. Let us know if you would want those too. Yeah. Little variety pack Ooh, a f- dude a fucking beer mile flight beer mile flight would be really cool she yeah and then you get the uh, like the wood the wood piece for underneath mm. and it's like engraved or something be awesome i'd pop off that's it get that's it. a good Ooh, um, get it engraved with like your beer mile pr Ooh. <laughs> no we can we can like sign those I, actually i don't have a good signature do you have a good no, signature? nobody wants our signatures yeah that's lame. bunch of scribbles we could we could get uh Someone legit to sign them, maybe. Oh, okay. Quick shout out to our man's Ray. Uh, I don't. I don't know if I can Ray say okay. Or, or I don't know if we can dox him. You know, say his full name. I thought we were supposed to say like their name. And oh, the state. okay. So what? What? What about him? What do you want to shout him out for? Oh, so I don't think you revealed too much. I think you're okay. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, so I want to give Ray a shout out because he won the NCAA bracket for sit and kick. And uh, Josh and Dave were like trying to figure out because they got their asses whooped by like 60 people. They're like, okay, so like, what do we, what do we give away to the winners? Because we like lost a lot. So we don't want to spend like a lot of money, but we got to like figure out what to give people. And I, I commented something along the lines of like, Josh has to give us a signed six pack a blue moon. Yeah. And Ray was like, oh yeah. Like as, as the winner, like I, I, endorse this uh this punishment thanks for backing us ray so, he's, he's an og fan too oh so. yeah yeah big tank seven guy oh at least that's what he sends us in the, the images the, Man, I need the to... stories I, I don't know if he learned tank i can't remember if he learned tank seven from us or if he was already a tank seven fan i can't i'd have to go back and look but either way i want either more. way either way i want more he's got tank good seven. taste absolute good taste well i mean we'll get some more of that in kansas city when we go true we, we do have some cool things. I guess we can say that really quick. You yeah. know, yeah, some yeah. cool things coming up. I think we're going to be able to hit up the Drake Relays. Uh, April 23rd, 24th, I believe are the dates. Do, I, we, do we say, do we say like, check out, like, hang on for a, a podcast with uh, with us and, and some familiar faces, maybe? Yeah, I mean, if... So I guess a couple things. One, I would say, if you happen to be in Des Moines and you're a listener of ours and you want to... Oh, and you want to hang out for a podcast recording or just to hang out in general go for run with us let us know and also it would be cool if we could get athletes we know all the athletes also listen to this podcast if one of you wants to do a live podcast with us after the race let us know and maybe we could also get like sure. some listeners to watch it live that'd be f- kind of pressure's fun. on pressure's on so once we get the start list for drake we'll, we'll have to see if there's any names on there of, of athletes that we know we could uh, okay. get on but 
But yeah, either way, Drake Relays, um, planning to be in Des Moines April 23rd, 24th. Let us know if you're there. And then the following week, uh, the next Trials of Miles Sidious Mag production is in Kansas City. So we will uh, be there for that as well. Yeah, that'll be that'll be spicy. Um, for our longtime listeners, you might know that last time I was in Kansas City, I might have had some trouble with some ruhifnol. Uh, so hopefully everything... And by go- trouble, he doesn't mean that he had trouble sliding it into someone else's drink. Jesus just so Christ. Know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, I'm, I, I'm what they call an easy target. So uh, hopefully, you know... You can never let your guard down. That's I, your first mistake. Allegedly, that, that was my mistake. I've only made it one and a half times at this point. So, you know, I'm going to have a babysitter and I'm going to be always keeping my thumb over my beer bottle when I'm drinking. Just never leave a beer bottle not finished. So every time you get a drink, you have to chug it. Well, not that you have to chug it, just like never set it down. It's interesting because I was actually, when I was, I was talking to my sister about this and she's like, oh, that's just like, as a girl, like I just like don't set my drink down. And I was like, huh, that's how you know you're a dude. Yeah. Well, you guys, you got to start thinking about that. So Kansas City, if you're also there and you want to whatever, meet up for a run, meet up for a beer. Uh, I don't even know what else. I mean, Adam and I have to get tested a couple times in order to even go to Kansas City. So, I mean, you know, I think we're going to be pretty safe to, don't, yeah, don't give to us have COVID. a beer. And we'll Maybe. have a beer out and outside Outdoors. somewhere yeah, you know, out be, on the patio. It'll be a good time. Yeah, the weather will be nice. So. Maybe, maybe we can get someone to do a live podcast there as well. We'll see. I yeah. don't know if we're that cool yet, but we're going to certainly try. Um, oh, I think we're also going to host the official pre-race party there on the Friday night. Too. Yeah, that's I mean, it's turning into something. So that's turning into something. We don't know what yet, but it's going to be something. We can promise we're, you there will be something. At this point, it's, we're just scheming, but like it's kind of legitimate scheme. So it's I a know. legitimate scheme. I don't know. Yeah. All right. So any other thoughts about this beer before we close her out? Still can't decide whether it's it's honey or sap. I don't know where the honey begins, ends, and where the saffron begins. I and ends. yes, it's confusing. I'm confused too. I think it's probably one where I would need to have it a few different occasions and then truly decide whether I love it or whether I just like it. Yeah, I wanna I wanna have this next to like uh, a standard wheat and compare like what the difference is between or even just a standard honey wheat. Sure. Like, uh, well, not that honey wheats are standard, but like another honey wheat just to get a side by side. Or but just, either way, super smooth. Like just it goes down extremely smooth. I'm like t- I'm telling you, that's the that's the two beer X factor, where you get to two beers and you're like, whoops, I I think <laughs> I like this beer. I I think that could be the case with this one. So we got a couple more in the fridge. Uh, again, thanks to Ryan from Wisconsin. So we'll find out, I guess, when we yeah. have those other couple when we're hanging out. Yeah. We'll see if put it on the in, on the Instagram uh, so Chris doesn't drink them without me. That's right. I put the one on the Instagram. Yes, well, on my personal Instagram yesterday, uh, drinking drinking one of them. So yeah. And if if you're a listener that ha- you love a specific type of beer that we haven't reviewed, feel free to to hit us up in the dms and figure out how you ship that bad boy to us or do we just like put our address in and have people ship us random shit uh don't mail us a bomb if you ask us for our address we'll definitely give it to you but we're not going to like publicly put it somewhere. yeah i think although i think ted kaczynski he kind of he knew some things you know is that right the unibomber you know the unibomber yeah i know i know i know uh anywho we so uh just for for beers of the week for the next couple weeks we have one more from ryan from the fifth ward brewing and then we got 
thank you to Colin in California. Uh, Colin Goss, he gave us a, uh, what was it? Vanilla cream ale that he also thinks would be like the ideal beer mile beer. Ooh. Uh, it, assuming it would like Is come it? in bottles. It's in okay, cans. Okay. Okay. But, so he wants us to not only evaluate the taste of it, but also evaluate its uh, ability in the beer mile. So, okay. So those those are our next two coming up. Next two episodes will be last fifth fifth ward uh, beer and then that one. And so after that, we are open. So the suggestions are always welcome, and we can probably we can find a lot of stuff in our store here by us. So give us suggestions. Otherwise, you yeah. know, if you are if you want to ship us something that isn't nationally available, of course we're not going to decline. Yeah, never decline a free beer. Nope. All right. I think that does it for today's episode. Tune in next week for part two of going behind the scenes of track and field, the business of track and field, making the sport better, uh, all that good stuff. I, I don't even know, you know, just we're, it's for the good of the sport, people. It's for the, <laughs> we're doing it for the good of the athletes, for the good of the sport. <laughs> I don't know why I said it like that. Uh, five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you DM us it, and we will uh, enter you into the giveaway. Share it on your story. You're entered 16 times. If you enter it on your, or if you put it up on your Insta story, you're entered Jesus like Christ. so many times. Fucking roast me. Make me hurt yes. emotionally. Yeah. get Leave that audio recording on Anchor. Roast Adam. Uh, and we'll, if play, you, if, we'll literally we'll play it in the show. I'm yeah, a, and if you if you are completely against putting your voice on there, you can also DM us something, and I'll read it out loud for uh, for oh, Adam you should, too. Uh, DM Chris personally, so I don't see it until. Oh the yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. If you if you don't want to do a voice, uh, just send me my personal account on Insta a DM of what you want to roast Adam and then I'll read I'll read those God, that's well. gonna be such a good podcast God, what if we only get like live? one roast wait can I I have a request um if we get ones that are sent in to you can either Jordan or Jax read them sure that would be funny okay that does it tune in next week for our episode with Trials and Miles and Sidious Mag it's gonna be a good one and until then Live, Stay laugh, true, love. drink a brew.